right, Acts chapter 23, uh, beginning in verse 12. We have a few points for you this morning. We actually have three in total, so we have three points in this message. And this is part two of our series that we've entitled, Before Kings. Before Kings, as we continue on uh, this journey with Paul, as he'll eventually be presented before not only governors and rulers, but eventually the emperor. And it says in verse 1, and this is point 1, the influence. You'll see a little bit of alliteration, and if you can come up with alliteration as a teacher, that's a really nice thing. Sometimes you can go over the top, but today it seemed to work out pretty well. So influence, point number 1, verse 12. And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. Now I don't know if these men who had formed this conspiracy thought that this was something that would take an hour or so. Just take a few hours, we'll take care of Paul. But what they were said to have done was to have made an oath to God that they would not eat anything or drink anything until, literally, they had killed Paul. How ironic is that? The irony is insane. These men vowed to God to kill his messenger. And, by the way, this is not a good vow to make. For little did they know that they would neither eat nor drink again. Yes, it's a little bit of a spoiler. They didn't kill Paul. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 5, it says, Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. They made this vow to God. We're not going to eat, we're not going to drink until we kill Paul. Until we kill Paul. And there are too many Christians today, I think, that use the phrase, I swear to God. Or I swear on my mama's grave. Or whatever it might be. And these are not phrases that we should ever use. Jesus said in Matthew 5 verses 34 through 37. He says, but I say to you, do not swear at all. Neither by heaven, for it is God's throne. Nor by earth, for it is, it is his footstool. Nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But... Let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For what is ever more than these is from the evil one. So among these 40 men that made this plot, they planned this this murderous plot, and there wasn't a wise one among them. I think sometimes we mistake sincerity and passion as being synonymous with what's right. Because you can be, unfortunately, passionately and sincerely wrong. These men, these 40 men were given to deception and to premeditated murderous plotting. In verse 14, continuing on, it says, They came to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now, you... Therefore, together with the council, suggest to the Roman commander that Paul be brought down to you tomorrow, as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him. But we are ready to kill him before he comes near. In John 8, 44, chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus said of Satan that he was a murderer from the beginning, 
He does not stand in the truth. He speaks lies. He is a liar. And he is the father of all lies. So what's happening here is completely demonic. Now, you would think, you would think that the chief priests and the elders would have smacked some sense into these 40 men that were planning this terrible thing. Deception. Murder. You would think that they would have corrected them. You would have think that it would have been like, what are you guys thinking? Are you out of your minds? What are you doing? Making an oath to God to do what is against God? I mean, these men came to the leaders with no shame. How can you come to us with no shame about your murderous plot and furthermore ask us to be your accomplice? Did they do that? No. The religious leaders were influenced by these 40 men. So this was not only a spiritual and moral failure, but it was a complete decimation of their spiritual responsibility and their leadership. What happens when the religious leaders of the day do not lead anymore? They decide to not do what their position would call them to do. They were influenced to be involved with this dark plot, this terrible lie, and this violent attempt to kill Paul. Personally, with the things that are going on in the inner circles of churches these days, and even things that have been brought to light, I think that this strikes a nerve for us today. Because we see now, more than ever before in history, culture is leading the church instead of the church leading the culture. Where we have people in the church that are more influenced by what the world says is okay than what the Bible says is okay. And this is a problem. Church leaders compromising because they want popularity with the world. They want larger audiences. What is happening in our world today, in our spiritual world, is something that is very terrible. Because, as it's been said, the only thing needed for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. And we see today that the men that are put in positions of leadership are compromising the integrity of the Word of God. In 2 Corinthians 6.17, it says, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. They want... See, what, what's happening today is we want to rub, we want to smooth off the edges of the sword of God, the sword of the Spirit. We want it to be a blunt instrument. Instead of it being sharp like a sword is meant to be, we want to sand it off. We want to break it down. We don't want to stand for anything. Don't speak out. Don't let people know about your convictions. Just lose it. Lose it in what? Lose it in the culture. Let the culture decide and dictate to you what you should do in your church instead of the church showing the world what it needs to be doing in its context. The salt's losing its flavor. It's not holding back the rotten decay and the decay of the world as it was instituted to. We're allowing the emotional to override the spiritual. We're allowing our passions to lead us astray as the world says, how can we deny our passion? If I'm passionate about this, then it makes it okay. How can it be so wrong when it feels so right? Our church leaders need to stand for what is right regardless of how people feel. Because it is not about the feelings of the matter, but the facts of the matter. 
Satan wants the work of the church to be dissolved. He wants the church to be an amorphous blob that shapeshifts into whatever mold the culture says it should fit. And this will happen if we do not hold fast to sound biblical teaching. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 13, it says, Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me, Paul says, in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. To hold fast, bare knuckle grip like I'm holding on for, the, for my life. See, holding fast to a conviction is something that's very dangerous today. To actually believe in something is threatening. Furthermore, to believe in something that is biblically based is absolutely out of the question. Ironically, and I say ironic because of the way I'm going to put this, Satan will demonize, Satan will help the culture demonize any person that has, has personal convictions based upon the word of God. Oh, you're evil. Oh, you're a bigot. Oh, you're narrow-minded. Oh, you're a threat to society. You have convictions. You stand for something. You believe in something. Oh, the Bible? Oh, give me a break. Are you kidding me? Believe in anything else but the Bible and we'll be okay with you. You can talk about homosexuality. You can talk about transgender. You can talk about meditation. You can talk about being Buddhist or Muslim. You can be anything you want. Don't be a Christian. And if you do say you're a Christian, don't believe in the Word of God. And then we won't have any problems. That's the world today. But by God's grace, may this church, which belongs to God, hold fast to sound biblical doctrine, regardless of how unpopular it will be with our culture. And I guarantee you, it will become more and more unpopular. History is condemned condemned to repeat the same mistakes if we don't learn from those mistakes of the past. This really is important because we're looking at the study this morning where these men come to the religious leaders and instead of the religious leaders straightening them out, straightening them out, they're led astray by it. No moral compass, no conviction, no holding fast to the word of God. We need to be aware of these things in our lives because guys, with the culture pressing in, they want the church to be dissolved. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how then shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. We'll teach the word of God and we hold fast to what it says. In Luke 6, verse 26, regarding people's desire and religious leaders' desire for popularity and not wanting to ruffle any feathers, Jesus said, woe to you when all men speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. This is a serious thing. I think that this is something that we as men need to be aware of as well. In our own personal lives, with our families, with our children. That we know what the word of God says and that we hold on to it. Because we can easily be influenced unless we hold fast to the word of God. So the leaders failed and instead of using their position for influence, they were influenced to align their position with what was evil satan is very well rounded in his attack strategy all of this effort that was being exerted was to stop paul the apostle from doing the work that god had commissioned him to accomplish see because if satan can stop you 
If he can stop me, what ultimately is being stopped is the work of God happening through me. If he can shut you down, then whatever the Lord would want to do through you will be hindered. We need to be aware of that. And we need to not be ignorant and we need to act upon that. So we see point number one was the influence. Point number two, now the informant. Now, under this title, in this section, point number two, it's important to note, and maybe you've noticed this, God has such an amazing knack for finding out what's going on. Have you ever noticed that? You might even say it's in his nature to know everything. God's character does include omniscience. The right people can be at the right place at just the right time. And such was the case for Paul's nephew that we're about to read about in a second. So even though the scribes and the elders and these 40 men had plotted this murderous plan, it wasn't going to hinder God's work. I love that. In Psalm 33, verse 10, it says, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing, and he makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. So when Paul's sister's son, verse 16, heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, Take this young man to the commander, for he has something to tell him. Verse 18. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul the prisoner called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. And boy, did he ever. Man, you ever wonder where like Hollywood gets their storylines? A lot of them are based in the Bible. The murderous plot and it just so happens that the nephew's like, no way. Oh. You know when he goes tells the commander, what does he say? And the commander took him by the hand and went aside and asked privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. You know, the Jews, oh, you know, maybe we were wrong about Paul. Maybe we just need to, 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 you know, to further discuss you know, this topic. Maybe we need to do some more inquiries. Let's, let's hear him again. I mean, you can just see how this would play out. Because remember, they had this huge argument. They tried to, you know, kill him even back then. You know, maybe we overdid it. We're sorry. We overreacted. Uh, let's, uh, let's see if we can have more of a uh, diplomatic type of conversation. But what does it say? Verse 21. It says, But do not yield to them, for more than 40 of them lie in wait for him. Men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. So Paul's nephew became the source, the confidential informant. And it's amazing how the right piece of information can change the course of events. And so often we get discouraged or we, we uh, uh, become disheartened at what evil might be taking place, at these things that might be opposing us or coming against us. And, and so often we forget that God knows, like he knows what's going on. 
I mean, if you talk about the probability, what are the chances of Paul's nephew? I mean, of all the people, someone related to Paul, Paul's sister's son, here's this plot that's happening. The Lord takes care of all those things because the Lord said, he promised, he promised to to, to Paul that he was going to have him go in a certain direction and nothing was going to stop that. So we see that the Lord is aware of the information that's going on, that's getting passed around. He knows what's happening. And see, when we pray, when we seek the Lord, we tap into that. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord is showing us things, revealing things to us, that we're able to know with certainty what He's called us to do and how we're going to go about doing it. And even in those times where the Lord might say, nope, I'm not going to show you the entire plan, because let's face it, for most of us, I'm like, hey, show me like the next 35 years rolled out every day, everything, let me see it. I mean, we all like that kind of stuff. You know, I don't think we step into, hey, do I get that job or not? Can you, like, show me now? You know, like, let, let, me, let me see what happens. You know, no, so, sometimes that doesn't work, but we trust that the Lord's in control and that he's faithful to his promise, which leads us to point number three, the intervention. Now, I absolutely love when God intervenes on my behalf. Anybody else feel that way? <laughs> yeah, I agree with all three of you. So, absolutely love when God intervenes on my behalf. See, Gamaliel, do you remember Gamaliel? Very, very powerful leader in the Jewish community. A respected rabbi, teacher. He warned the Jewish leaders previously against fighting against Jesus. It was actually from Acts 5.39. I'll read it to you. He says, after explaining some things, he says, but if what they're doing... What these Christians, these followers of Jesus are doing, it is of God. You cannot overthrow it lest you even be found to fight against God. He says, if this is not of the Lord, then it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, do not oppose them lest you be opposing God. Now, quite frankly, God is not the type of opponent that I'm looking for. Now, our enemy... Satan will seek to paralyze us by using fear and intimidation. And you remember the studies that we did where we we coined that acronym, FIT, where Satan throws a fit, basically, and it stands for fear and intimidation tactics. Where he would want to smoke screen us or to, to intimidate us in order for us to not move. So we have to ask the question, if we're honest about this text, what must have Paul been, and may I highlight been feeling, feeling, when he heard about the 40 men who had vowed to not eat or drink till they had killed him. How would you feel? Oh, cool. No, you think you'd be kind of tripped out. God forbid if one of the extreme radical, you know where they are, said, we're not going to eat or sleep until we kill you. That might bother you a little bit. Now, were his emotions running rampant? (gasps) and what was he doing what was happening I don't think so Paul didn't live his life run by emotion remember what we talked about about the religious leaders and how we, we can sometimes override what the word of God says by how we feel we supersede the scriptures by our passion or by our emotion in Acts 23 verse 11 we looked at this 
last week. But it said, but the following night, the Lord stood by him. And remember, recap, he was in jail. They tried to kill him. The Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, listen to this, so you must also bear witness at Rome. If Jesus said, Paul, you're going to Rome, it doesn't matter if there were 40,000 men that had made an oath, you're going to Rome. So, did Paul let his emotions get the best of him, knowing that the 40 men were not going to eat until he was dead? No, he did not. But rather he said something to the effect, man, they're going to be hungry. No, he didn't really say that in the Bible. That's a little artistic license there I'm not trying to add to the scriptures so the commander called verse 23 bring it on nope doesn't matter the Lord said you're going to Rome he knew he was getting to Rome so the commander called for two centurions saying prepare 200 soldiers 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night and provide mounts to set Paul on and bring him safely to Felix the governor. Now, I couldn't help but just laugh. Even in my notes, I wrote this down. Ha, ha, ha. And it was for these 40 men. These guys, this little, this little group of guys. Hey, you know what? We're not going to eat. We're not going to drink until we kill Paul. Just can't help but laugh at this. The Lord tells Paul, you're going to Rome. And he provides 472 Roman soldiers to make sure he got him there safely. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, he says, You who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In 1 Peter 1, 5, that word kept is a Greek word called phureo, which is actually a military term, which means this, to guard, to protect by a military guard, or watching and guarding to preserve one for the attainment of something. I love that the Lord guards us by his power as we trust in him. We're kept, we're protected by our faith in Jesus. We trust him. He is doing the work. He is our shield. He is the one that gets us from point A to point B. And we see this time and time again in the scriptures where Jesus would tell his disciples, let's go across to the other side. They get caught in a terrible storm. And they say, Jesus, don't you care if we're going to die? We're dying! And he's like, Guys, I'm right here in the boat with you. It's like, if I say we're going to the other side, we're going to make it to the other side. Jesus tells Paul, if I say you're going to bear witness for me in Rome, just as you did in Jerusalem, you're going to bear witness of me in Rome. So we need to keep our faith in God. We need to stay as followers of Christ in the center of God's perfect will. And we're watched, we're guarded, we're protected when we have faith in God. And he's protecting you He is guarding you. He is protecting you so that you might obtain that which he has called you to obtain, that you might get to the place he has called you to be. And see, if Satan can get us to stop having faith in God, then he he knows he has us right where he wants us to be. To remove us out of the center of God's perfect will means we're no longer having faith like we should. We're taking things into our own hands. We're saying, Lord, I tried your way. I'm going this way. That is where Satan wants us to be, where we're no longer kept. The phureo, remember that Greek word. Kept by the power of God through faith. When the Lord says something's going to be done, it will be done. So the commander wrote, verse 25, a letter in the following manner. His name was Claudius Lysias. 
to the most excellent governor, Felix. Greetings. Now, this is a historical document. This isn't made up. This isn't some Hollywood sensationalized story. Claudius Lysias was a real man, and Felix was the governor. He says, greetings, verse 27. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Coming with the troops, I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. And when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before their council. I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law, but had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. And when it was told me that the Jews lay in wait for the man, I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him. Farewell. So the Lord provides an armed Roman escort for Paul with an accurate and unbiased account of the previous occurrences from the Roman commander, all setting the stage for Paul to present the gospel to the governor Felix. Before kings, before rulers, governors, emperors. The Lord is taking care of all of that. Beyond our own ability is what the Lord has called us to do. Beyond our own scope or our own imagination is what the Lord has called us to do. And it doesn't matter where it may be, It doesn't matter in front of whom it may be in front of. Before kings, before leaders, before those that influence the society, the Lord has called us to make an impact in this world and we need to stand firmly on that promise and we need to charge forward knowing that God has gone before us and prepared our way. So verse 31 as we conclude, Then the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris, And the next day they left the horsemen to go on with him and return to the barracks. When they came to Caesarea and had delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from. And when he understood that he was from Cilicia, he said, this is the governor speaking, Felix, I will hear you when your accusers also have come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. And we'll see next week what happens as Paul is making his way to the top of the Roman Empire as we continue our series in the book of Acts entitled Before Kings.